In this episode, I'm going to be unpacking four things that you might want to look at to see whether you can make very quick changes that could lead to attracting more clients. I'll be encouraging you to look at your pricing, your call to actions, your offer and your presence. There are, of course, smaller details that you can consider and change. But since this is a podcast episode and not a live mentoring or mastermind session, I've chosen things that I can be specific about without knowing your business. As always, I'll be giving you some thinking points. I'll give you plenty of examples to bring them to life and you can get some practical ideas. Enjoy. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. When we run businesses, we're often the person who has to do all the thinking, all the decision making. So we do our best. But in making all the decisions, sometimes we don't realise that we might be doing things that put potential clients off because we don't have anyone to bounce our ideas with or to test it out necessarily. So in the absence of you and I having a live mentoring session right now, I'm going to try and mentor you from afar and unpack four areas that you can consider, examine and maybe some actions for you to just tweak to attract more paying clients. The first area is to look at your pricing. Now, something you might be doing without realising is kind of using pricing as a weapon of sorts. Now, there are two angles to this. I'll go through both of them. The first angle is, you know, when you've launched something or you're relatively new or you're not attracting clients and you don't know why, often we respond with our pricing. So we think, oh, well, if if we offer people a really good price, then we'll entice people to buy our offer. If we keep mentioning how it's a great deal and we offer discounts, then it's naturally going to attract people. And that seems logical because everyone likes a good deal. But here's how I see it. If you keep offering discounts and if you keep using that language, words like cheap, words like discount, then you're training your audience to actually expect cheap things from you or to keep expecting discounts. Now, two things can happen from this. The first thing might be that they aren't ready to buy just yet. But when they are, they think, oh, let me just wait for the next discount because you've trained them to believe that at random times and very frequently, you're going to be offering discounts. And that could stop them from booking right now. But it could also stop them from booking later, because what if they miss your next discount? And the other thing that it could cause is they might then expect cheap or free things from you continuously. So when you try and increase your pricing, or when you try and launch something which does have a higher price, they might be reluctant to buy from you, because that's just not the relationship that they have formed with you. Also, As I often say, money is a communication tool. So let's think about it. If you're offering something cheap or if you keep offering discounts, you might be communicating to potential clients that you're desperate for clients. And what does that imply? Well, maybe it implies that your offer isn't very good and that's why you're desperate for clients. Or maybe you do have clients, but that cheap price is still communicating that maybe your offer isn't as good as someone else who's offering something similar for a higher price. 
So I'm not suggesting that you need to be really competitive and you need to keep checking out other people's prices and climb higher and higher. I'm also not suggesting that you need to be really, really expensive or that you should never offer discounts. But I do think there needs to be the right balance. So when I think about pricing, and I do have a whole episode with a very practical calculation on working out how much to charge, and that's episode eight. But today I'm not going to tell you a calculation as such. I'm going to tell you the feelings-based, the intuition-based kind of reasoning behind deciding on your pricing. What I do is I firstly often do things in phases or tiers. So with the Cheetah's Mastermind, I had phase one, which was a cheaper price, and that was when I was just launching. It was the skeleton version of the Mastermind. Then I added more to it, and I increased the pricing. Then I added more to it, and I increased the pricing again. Now, that's the pricing I'm currently on. But as the Mastermind develops, as I add even more to it, I will then add a higher price. And I do it this way because it gives me that room to change my pricing. Something I don't do is I don't reverse. I don't make it cheaper. And I think that's quite important because selling is a psychological game. It's not this situation where you've got these formulas. And yes, certain formulas and steps might work, but they are very generic. Really, we are playing a psychological game. And I say game because you have to experiment. But I don't mean it as in we are playing with people's money or anything like that. I'm also not suggesting that you be misleading or anything like that. So I just want to make that clear because I'm using language that I don't normally use. But when you're thinking about your pricing, I often give myself that flexibility with my tuition business. I charge higher based on what someone is studying. And again, that gives me the flexibility to change my pricing around. And the reason why I do it like this is because when I'm communicating my pricing, or if I communicate an increase, I have got a justifiable reason to explain it. I always make sure that I can justify why I've increased that price. So if you arrange your business or your offer where you can offer it in these phases or these tiers, so to speak, then it gives you that flexibility and you're not under pressure to fix a price and say, right, this is the price I'm committing to and I'm stuck with it. But also, I always think of what I would be willing to pay for that, but also what I feel comfortable actually telling people I charge. Because let's face it, people are going to challenge you. The other day, I was in a call and someone actually said to me that I was undercharging. They thought I was undercharging. But then I've had people who tell me that I'm a bit too expensive for them. So pricing is really objective and different people are going to have different responses. Now, if you don't feel secure and confident in your price, then every time someone gives you that feedback, you're going to question yourself. Now, I'd be lying if I didn't for a split second question myself when that person told me I was undercharging. But actually, I never question myself when someone tells me that I'm too expensive. Because over the years, I know that that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm expensive. It just means that I'm outside of that person's budget. And that's okay. There are so many things I can't afford. That doesn't mean that these companies are going to lower their price to suit my needs. So we can't please everybody. And the only way we can stay really firm is to be really confident. And like I said, the thing that drives me is what do I feel comfortable telling people that I charge? Because ultimately, I'm the person who has to communicate it. And I'm the person who has to have that conversation when someone challenges it. Another thing that I think about is, does this price, does this mean that when someone pays it, they're really going to feel like they're making an investment? Because anything that you offer, people have to use. If they're going to get the results that you're promising them, 
they have to use that thing in the first place, whether it's a product, whether it's a service. And for them to take it seriously, they have to have skin in the game, so to speak. I'm using a lot of kind of gaming language for some reason, but they need to feel like they have made an investment so that they commit to it. If something's really cheap, we've all done this, haven't we? If something's really cheap, we spend the money because we think, oh, it's only X amount of money. But then we also often forget about it or we think we'll do it later because we know that, look, if I never use this, then it's only spent X amount of money. So it's not a big deal. We don't want people to think that. We want it to be a big deal if they don't use what we're selling them. Because if people don't get the results, they're not going to come back to you as a repeat customer and they're not necessarily going to recommend you to other people either. Now, there does have to be a balance here. You can't take responsibility for everyone's behaviour. If I buy something, it's my responsibility to use it. I'm the one who decided to invest in it. But you can help people along the way. You can use your pricing to really get people's commitment. So I know I haven't given you something really tangible, like a calculation that you can perform to really make sure that you're charging well. Because the truth is, is that you're using it as a communication tool. And what you might want to communicate, the type of people you want to work with, might be different to me. So I can't really give you a formula. But you do want to make sure that you are communicating what you need to communicate, that you're connecting with them. So if you're working with a specific target audience group, you don't obviously want to price yourself out of that. Equally, you don't want to go so low that they aren't going to buy it because they think this is probably no good. And when it comes to things like discounts, again, I think they're great. You know, I think they're a really great promotional tool. I think they're great for you to have little bursts of activity. But I would only use discounts when, once again, there's a justifiable reason behind the discount. So it could be that it's Christmas and you're doing a Christmas sale. It could be that it's Black Friday. It could be that you're celebrating a a milestone. So I recently had a little prize draw because it was my podcast's one year birthday. So if you're then offering discounts because there's an actual reason, people aren't just going to expect that from you at random times. So whatever you do, try and think strategically because you need to put yourself in the position of your clients. And we want our clients to feel confident to buy from us at that very moment that they're ready to do it. We don't want them to wait. If we if they wait, then the longer that waiting time is, the more chance there is that they might cool down and change their mind or forget about it. Now, the other angle to this concept of using pricing as a weapon is when you withhold your pricing. So when you don't actually publish your pricing. Now, I know that sometimes it just isn't really possible because maybe you offer something bespoke. But even in that situation, you can say prices start from. And sometimes people don't publish their pricing because they want to speak to people. They know that if they speak to people, they can really convey the value rather than someone's decision being based on pricing. Now, I can understand both sides to this argument. There is no right and wrong. Personally, I choose to be transparent and show my pricing. And the reason I do that is because I put myself in the position of a consumer and I think about how I behave. And when I'm shopping around, pricing is something I need to consider. Something could be really valuable. And I'm, I'm of course, looking at that side, but something could be really valuable. But if it's not something I can afford, then what's the point in me investing more of my time into it? I don't want to waste my time or someone else's. Equally, as a business owner, I want people to self-qualify before they book that call with me. 
I want them to know that they can afford what it is that I offer. Otherwise, I'm then spending my time speaking to people who are never going to buy because I'm outside of their budget. So that's why I do publish my pricing. Sure, that means that some people are just going to be led by money. They're not going to be led by the value that I offer. But if that's their mindset, I don't think it's my job to convince them otherwise. They're just simply not the kind of client who I'm likely to attract. So I do think that it's important to be as transparent as possible with your pricing, because then you are giving people a reason to invest their time to take things further. Now, in my situation, and I'll be talking more about this in the next bit, in my situation, I ask people to book calls with me. So I am asking them to invest their time. They need to set aside that time. They need to be in front of Zoom. You know, it's a commitment. But even if you just ask people to click a button on your website to buy, I know that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that unless I knew how much something costs. I don't want to have to find that out when I get to the checkout. So that's just my opinion. I think we should be publishing pricing, but there are people who completely disagree with that. And I do understand why. I really do. But just something to add on to that. When you withhold pricing, we do tend to assume that something is really, really expensive because that's how we're kind of trained to think. If you go to a really expensive restaurant, they won't have the pricing on the menu. So we're kind of trained to believe that when someone withholds pricing, it's probably because they're really expensive. Now, the truth is, maybe you're not. Maybe you're, you know, pretty reasonable, or maybe you're within the budget of the person who is looking through your information. But the fact that you're not showing the pricing might put them off. So just a couple of things to consider there. Make a decision based on what you think and what you think is right for you. But do remember that money is a communication tool. So instead of using it like a weapon, you know, to try and get what you want, try and use it to communicate what you need to communicate, because that will naturally trigger the action that you want from the right client for you. The second area that I wanted to talk about is looking at your call to action or your call to actions. You might have multiple things that you ask people to do. So when I talk about this, this is where you're asking people to do something that leads them to being a customer. It could be that to buy this, just click the button on my website and get instant access. It could be book a call with me. You might have both. Now, I talked about this and I went into a bit of detail in episode 54, where I gave you a checklist for selling without being pushy. But I do want to unravel this just a little bit because it could be a key reason why people aren't buying from you. Now, asking people to just click a button on your website to buy what you're offering is really, really tempting. It saves time for both parties, which, you know, let's face it, it's a huge plus point. But if you're relying on this and you're not getting enough customers, maybe you chose the wrong call to action. Maybe you need to rethink this. Maybe you're asking people to do something that they don't feel comfortable doing. Maybe you're missing an in-between step. Now, I'll tell you an example from, from my experience. When I was launching the Tutors Mastermind, this is an area I was really, really toying between. I apologise if you can hear background noise. My next door neighbour has decided to drill and I'm also on a flight path. And normally I pause for the planes, but I can't pause for my neighbour doing DIY. So I apologise for any background noise. But let me talk about my experience. So when I was launching the Mastermind, I was toying between what kind of call to action to provide people. On the one hand, I thought, wouldn't it be great if people can just join by clicking a button on my website? But then I thought about it and I thought, well, what if it attracts people that I don't want to be in the mastermind? What if it's people who just wouldn't be compatible with what I'm offering or they wouldn't be compatible with the dynamic of the other people in the mastermind? 
So I decided to protect that. And I decided that if anyone wants to join us for the live sessions, then they have to book a call with me first. And then I send them an invitation link. However, if people just want to watch the video so they're not attending anything live, then they can click a button on my website and join. That's not a problem. Now, this has actually served two big purposes. The first thing is it protects the quality of what I'm offering. So when I have a discovery call, when I'm promoting my mastermind on things like social media, I talk about this. I say that this only works with the right dynamic of people. And I want to make sure that this is absolutely right for you. So book a call. So I'm giving people a reason to book that call and I'm making it very clear that it's all about them. It's not about me. It's about me looking out for them. I'm also protecting the mastermind. And that gives people the confidence that, okay, not just everyone is invited into the mastermind. If I'm being invited, it means that this must be right for me. So it's a way to build trust. It's a way to build confidence. But also what I've discovered, and I know I've talked about this before, but in case you missed it, I'll just quickly repeat it. I've noticed that in discovery calls, people ask me questions. And a lot of these questions they would have been able to find the answers if they'd gone on my website. So that shows me that they're not going on my website. What they're doing is they're booking a discovery call because that's their fast track to just meet me, speak to me, have their questions answered. They don't have to put in all that work of searching for the right answer and so on. So having experimented with that, and fortunately I didn't have to experiment very much, I have discovered that my audience, they like to book a call. So that's the call to action I use even though they can access things like my 100 content prompts and my videos only membership through my website, I still encourage people to just book a call. For my tuition business though, my audience are a bit different. I used to encourage everyone to book a call with me. And in fact, you know, if I do promote anything, then I do still offer that call. But what I find is that most people actually just message me. They message me on Facebook Messenger. And if it's through word of mouth, then maybe I'll get a message on my phone or an email. And the majority of students that I teach, I've never actually spoken to the parent. I've never had that initial call where they've asked loads of questions or anything like that. So I know that for my tuition business, I know that parents actually want to just get there really fast. They want to say, have you got any availability? How much do you charge? Let's go for it. And they just want to get started. Now, just because that's how my audience behave doesn't mean your audience will behave like that. You do have to try things out to find out what they like. But making sure you have the right call to action can transform results. It's such a small change, but it can have such a huge impact. So here's what to do. Have a look at the call to action that you're asking people to take. Think about two things. Firstly, are people actually following that call to action? If not, think about what you can offer that's slightly different so you can, can experiment with that. Remember, whenever you change something, whenever you experiment, you need to give it time. Just because you've suddenly changed it, you won't get results in you know 24 hours or 48 hours. You actually need to give it a few months. I would probably say a minimum of three. So think about changing your call to action. Another thing that you might be doing is flooding people with options. So if you're giving them lots of different options for the call to action, then maybe just choose one or maximum two. So if I'm marketing myself on Instagram, for example, because you can't have active links right now in the caption, I will say to people, DM me or go to the link in my bio. So I do give them two options there, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll say DM me. Sometimes I'll say, go to the link in my bio. So I just, I change it around. I mix it up and I experiment with that. 
and most people actually do go to the link in my bio and they book. So I know that that's a call to action that works, not just for my audience, but on that specific platform. So you do need to look at which platform you're using and speak its language. So on LinkedIn, I might ask someone to DM me, but I can also have active links. So I might just provide the link to my discovery call. And although they do say, you know, don't offer links on posts and all the rest of it, it hurts your reach. I find that it's so marginal, but people actually take action. So for me, I feel like it's worth it. So look at your call to action. It could be a really small change that has a really big impact. The third area I want to talk about is your offer. Now, if you have had your offer out there for a while, if you have tried loads of different things, if you've got your call to action right, you're happy with your pricing, then there is a possibility that there's a mismatch between your offer and your target audience needs and preferences. Now, let me get this clear. What you offer you know it's going to help people. You know that, otherwise you never would have created it. But here's my question to you. Do they know that they need it? I was having a conversation with a client just about this recently because she offers a kind of study skills services and revision skills services. And we know that students need that. It applies to all the subjects. But when parents look for academic support for their children, they tend to look for subject support rather than a skills-based support. So that doesn't mean that she should scrap her offer, but what it does mean is she needs to speak the right language. She needs to make clear why it offers support for all the subjects. She needs to collaborate with specific subject specialists. So I'm not suggesting that you just scrap what you're offering, but I would think about how your customers are responding and why. Your offer has got to resonate with them and they need to know they need it. There's no point in you sitting there knowing they need it. They have to know that too. So the best thing to do is to put yourself into the shoes of your target audience. Now, I often say, forget about the target audience exercise, the traditional one. But today, I'm not going to say that. Today, I'm going to say, start by identifying who your target audience is. Be very clear on that. Now, hopefully you've already done that. But in case you haven't, then do that now, because this might unlock where there might be a mismatch. The second thing is think about how your audience behaves in terms of what kind of support they look for. Now, the only way you're going to do this is by looking at people and observing and listening. You're not going to be able to work this out by using your imagination and crafting a kind of sample person. You're going to have to go out there and network and listen. So join Facebook groups where your target audience are active, where people are asking questions speak to clients. So even if people don't need to book a call with you to take what you offer, offer it anyway, so that you get a chance to actually speak to them and get real feedback. So think about how they behave. So like I said, as a tutor, I know how parents behave. And that's why I was able to have that conversation with that client of mine. And that's why she's able to now sort of tweak her language and tweak her approach. So you need to understand how your audience behaves, how they think, what their opinions are, in order for you to know how to communicate your offer. Back in around 2020, lots and lots of group classes were popping up in the tuition world. And before that, they existed, but they weren't as prevalent. And I remember being a part of a lot of communities and some parents were saying, oh, you know, look at these tutors being really greedy. Suddenly they're offering all these group classes. I don't get it. And all of this, there was quite a big backlash. And then on top of that, there was still this culture of no one-to-one is better than group. Now, 
I was launching my group classes during that time. I didn't stop. And actually, I launched three classes with a capacity of 15 students each, and they got fully booked that same year in the summer of 2020. But here's how I responded to that feedback. I used the language that I knew would resonate with them. So I made sure that my class size was well thought of and I justified it. I explained why I had that maximum capacity. I made sure that my pricing reflected that capacity. So back then I would have 15 students in a class. Now I do mini groups. I have a maximum of three students. My pricing is hardly different from my one-to-ones because what I'm offering is different now. So you need to really listen. Otherwise, there is a risk that people are being put off for whatever reason, just because of a small thing, a small way that you're communicating. But you're not going to know that unless you really understand them, unless you speak to them. Another way that you can do this is by having a Facebook group yourself. Now, Facebook groups, that's for another day. But and I do have an episode on that, by the way. But Facebook groups are hard work, especially when you are a tutor. I'm aware that not all of you listening are tutors, but if you're a tutor, Facebook groups are hard because unless you have a group which is based on an interest, for example, creative writing, and you train your audience to, you know, show work from their students and lots of teachers will give them feedback, unless you have something that's really community-led, if you're leading it, then it's hard to get that engagement. It's hard to start those discussions. It's not impossible, but it's really hard work. But The thing I like about Facebook groups is you can run things like polls and people do tend to participate in those. So if you have a Facebook group, I'm not suggesting right now that just to find out about your audience, you set one up. But if you already have one, then maybe take a temperature check, you know, ask them certain questions that might help you understand whether your offer is matching their expectations and their needs. Now, I know that it can feel really disheartening when you're talking about, oh, maybe people aren't buying my offer because I haven't got it right. Please understand that that's not what I'm saying. I think chances are you have got your offer right. We're just talking about how you're communicating it. We're talking about possible tweaks. So I'll go back to that group class example. One of the things that or that people kept asking me was, well, what happens if my student if my child, sorry, misses a class because I was asking them to commit to a whole half term. And so in response to that, I just said, I'll record the sessions. So all my sessions were recorded. They were available for the whole duration of that half term plus an extra week. And then they lost access. So just that small change meant that someone who wouldn't have joined and wouldn't have committed to a whole half term did. It was just a small change. So get out there, speak to people, join communities, listen, observe. The fourth thing I want to talk about is how present you are. Now, I'm going to use social media here as an example. If you're marketing on social media, I know it's a lot of hard work. I know because I do it and I create my content. Now, for my tuition business, I used to actually get my virtual assistant to create content for me. I would give her guidance. I don't actually really post very much for my tuition business anymore, but that's when I did. That's what I was doing towards the end. So when I'm talking about being present, I'm not saying that you have to be the one creating all of your content, but whether you create your content or not, if you don't hang around and if you don't participate, if you're not present, other people simply are not going to be present for you. So what does this mean? This means things like 
making sure that you're replying to comments. That's a basic. If people are commenting on your post, you have to reply to them. Otherwise, they're not going to comment again. They've wasted their time. You're not there. You're not having a conversation with them. But also get out there and participate in other conversations. So let's say you sell to schools. Well, you can join communities of teachers and you can participate in discussions there. If you're a tutor, participate in discussions with other tutors, with parents. You know, there are communities pretty much for everyone. Now, the reason why this is really important is because if you're commenting on other people's posts, let's say, if you're participating in discussions, then firstly, your name is showing up a lot. So it means that you are really boosting your visibility. But it also means that without meeting people, you're meeting them. You're actually forming a relationship because what you'll often find is that let's take a Facebook group. You'll often find that a lot of the same names keep cropping up. You have a core few people who are really active. And so you end up forming a relationship with those people. If we're talking about marketing yourself on LinkedIn or or let's say Instagram, then it's slightly different. You know, we're not talking about a community where you're having discussions necessarily, but you will find there are some core people who will support your content. They'll like your posts. They'll, they'll comment. You want to reciprocate and you want to go out there and do it for other people. Now, I'm not saying that if you participate and if you comment on other people's posts, that they will definitely do that back for you. I'm not saying they will. Not everyone does. So be genuine about it. You know, comment with things that you're really interested in. Comment with being really helpful genuinely helpful. Don't do it with an agenda as such. Otherwise, you are going to feel annoyed that I keep commenting on this person's post. Why aren't they supporting mine? So don't do it for that reason. But know that when you do it, you boost the chances of that happening. But also from a strategic point of view, if you can get engagement and if you can show that you are active on a platform, then that platform will support you. Because what do platforms want? They want you to use the platform. And if you're encouraging more people to use the platform, they're going to push your content out to more people because you are serving their agenda. You're serving the the purpose that they're, they're pitching for. So if you're speaking to people, this is all very interlinked. If you're speaking to people, if you're commenting on posts, if you're engaging on posts, you're showing the platform that you're active. You don't just post and then that's it. You just disappear. So it shows that you're active, which means they're likely to push your content out to more people. If people are engaging in your content, then that's signaling to the platform that your content must be useful. So let me push this out to even more people. So that participation, that that concept of being present is really important. But the same thing really applies to any marketing method. So when I write, when I do email marketing, for example, I really like to hear back from people and I often encourage them to reply. Many of them do. Now, when they reply, can you imagine if I didn't respond to them? They would never reply again. It would, I mean, they know that my emails are automated. I'm I'm not going to pretend they're not, but it's going to feel so impersonal because they actually took their time to reply based on my request and I didn't respond. So being present comes in all these different forms and it can be such an investment in your business. I know it feels like marketing just takes so much time, But if it's taking you loads of time, it means you're doing it right. Ask 
any business owner, look at any big corporation. They have departments dedicated to marketing because it's a big job, because it's about relationships. It's about tweaking things to improve your results. So if you're spending a lot of time marketing, that's fine. It's an investment because that's how you're developing those relationships. Now, I'm not suggesting that you spend loads of time because loads mean something different to everybody. Definitely choose something that you can maintain because it's better to be present a little bit than not to be present at all or to be present one minute and then disappear the next. So choose something, choose a schedule and a frequency that's going to make sense to you, something you can keep going. So if you can only spend, let's say, five minutes a day just having a quick peruse on social media and seeing if you can comment on anything, then just spend five minutes a day. That's fine. It's better than you not doing it at all. So choose something that works for you. Okay, so I've covered loads in this episode. Let me do a quick wrap up, a quick summary. Four areas to look at to make sure that you're not putting clients off are number one, your price. Make sure you're using it strategically and not as a weapon. Don't use discounts and endless, you know, cheap offers to try and get people through the door to try and entice them. Because remember, you are communicating something and that message may not be what you want to communicate. Equally, think about whether you want to publish your pricing or withhold it. As I mentioned earlier, my choice is to publish my pricing. I want people to self-qualify. You might have your own reasons to withhold your pricing. But whatever you do, do it in a thoughtful and intentional way and experiment. The second thing is look at your call to action or your call to actions. The one thing you're asking people to do for them to become a client, because it could be that you're asking people to do something they don't want to do. You have to learn about your audience and the best way is to experiment. I talked about how for Upgrade Your Education business, I have learned people like to speak to me. For my tuition business, actually they don't. Most people like to send me a message and then just very quickly arrange tuition lessons and then there we go, we're ready to start. The third thing is think about whether there is a mismatch between your offer and what your clients are saying they need and want. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to change what you offer. It just might mean that you tweak it ever so slightly or you change the language around how you're communicating your offer. And the fourth thing is make sure that you're present, make sure that you're visible. All of these things help you build relationships with complete strangers, which is what marketing is essentially about. That's the core of marketing. If you can build relationships with strangers, those strangers are then going to become known to you. Now, of course, I am talking about organic marketing there. You might be focusing on paid ads, but even if you go for paid ads, people will still check you out. So make sure that you are still present and that you've still got at least historical content out there. So as always, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope I've been able to give you some ideas. And if you have a quick moment, I would really love it if you could leave a review for me. Every time someone leaves a review, my podcast reaches more people. And if I reach more people, it means I can help more people. So as always, you'll hear from me next week. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.